Morning, everybody. That's a great vibe in the room when, like, the bumper video cannot silence the fellowship that's happening. I love that. Hey, um, I was in Haiti all weekend. Hey, cool. Wow, I didn't expect that. <laughs> Nothing like starting a sermon by requesting applause from the group. Um, you know, and what I wanted to share with you is that, uh, so I, I went with Janine Carini and Macy Mitchell from our family ministries, and they just did an awesome job, and, and Janine is going to share more about that trip in the next couple of weeks with you guys and some of the things we're working on there and things we need your help with. Um, but the reason I'm sharing it with you today is so that you know that if you leave today thinking that sermon made absolutely no sense, it's not because you weren't paying attention, it's because I landed in SFO at midnight. And that's what's happening now. So, okay, cool. As long as we have that disclaimer in place, we should be good. I want to start today in our second to last week of practicing the way by looking at a, a famous story from Luke's gospel. You've probably, there's a good chance you've heard this before. It says, now as they, and they here is Jesus and, and his disciples, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, this is a familiar story, and usually the way it's talked about is that, like, hey, there's one person who just wants to learn from, from Jesus, and another person who's, like, so busy serving Jesus that they, he, they're never listening to Jesus. And that's not the sermon today, because I'm telling you, if we have a problem with too many people in our church being so busy serving Jesus that they're not learning from him, that'll be a great problem to have, and we'll have a whole different talk about that. Um, just kidding. But there is something going on here that is really significant for us today and has everything to do with the series that we're in. Martha is this woman who invites Jesus into her home in Bethany, and she's clearly trying to do something extra special for him. And she's just stressing herself out, trying to get it together. And her sister, Mary, probably her younger sister, because they're in Martha's house, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it frustrates Martha so much, and she feels so comfortable with Jesus, by the way, that she comes up to him and it's almost like a confrontation. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Make her help me. How many of you guys automatically just relate to Martha at that mo in that moment? Like, I'm doing everything. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha. And it sounds in English kind of chiding, like she's in trouble. But in Greek, that double use of her name actually indicates sensitivity and compassion. He says, kindly, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus in the posture of a disciple. And as one kind of quick side note, it's amazing that in the first century, there's a Jewish rabbi who's allowing women to take part in that activity. That was uncommon in that day. Most of his contemporaries wouldn't have done that. And Mary is sitting there in this, in this posture of spiritual dependence where she is indicating through the act of sitting at his feet while he teaches, that she wants to know him, she wants to know his teaching, she wants to follow him, she wants to learn from him. And this whole series, that's not what I meant to do, this whole series has been about doing the things that Jesus told us to do. 
very practically, just, hey, Jesus said this, what would it look like to actually do it? And we still have one more week next week, but today I want to almost take a step back and ask a question that must precede the question of whether or not we're obeying the things that Jesus commanded, and that's, do we even know the things that Jesus commanded? Because like, there's definitely an issue with us knowing some of the things that Jesus teaches and, and choosing not to do them. But there's also a problem that, man, most of us, many of us, don't know the things that Jesus taught us to do. And the reason for that, I'm convinced, is because we have forgotten what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus, to receive the teaching from Jesus that would instruct us how to live according to his teachings. The Great Commission tells us to go to all nations and baptize people and teach them to observe all that Jesus commanded. That requires us to know all that Jesus commanded. And so like a natural response is to be like, okay, well, I mean, Jesus died, resurrected, and ascended 2,000 years ago, so how do we sit at his feet now if he's not here? The feet of Jesus aren't here for us to sit at. What does it mean to sit at the feet of Jesus? Look what Jesus says in John's Gospel. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Many of us have heard the second half of that verse totally detached from the first half, right? How do you know the truth? You abide in the word of Jesus. And I'm convinced that the primary way that we sit at the feet of Jesus, the primary way that we abide in the word of Jesus is by reading, hearing, and knowing the Bible. And that's the vast majority of what we're gonna talk about today is how to do that well, because it's a hard book to read. But if we want in the modern world to sit at the feet of Jesus, to know what he's taught, to know how he wants us to live, to be faithful disciples, we have to know and read and cherish this book. It's an incredible book. There's 66 separate books in there covering tons of genres. There's stories, biographies, songs, poems, all kinds of different stuff, letters that people wrote to one another and to churches. And it's written by a ton of different authors. So one question you could have immediately is why, if we want to know the words of Jesus, are we reading things that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, James, and all these other guys wrote? Check out this prayer that Jesus prays. This is something that's known as the high priestly prayer. It's an incredible moment where Jesus, right before his betrayal and crucifixion, prays over his disciples. You should read the whole thing. We don't have time to this morning, but it's a beautiful prayer for his followers. He says this, now they, and he's talking about his disciples, the 12 who are with him, 11 who are with him at that point. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. Pay attention to all the pronouns here because it gets a little confusing, but it's amazing. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So Jesus says, Father, you gave your word to me, and I have given it to them, and they have received it, they, the apostles, who are with him. So again, you go, okay, well, the apostles received it, but like, they're all dead too. So what do we do? How do we get it? Look at what he says just a few verses later in the same prayer. I do not ask for these only, again, meaning his apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Did you know that Jesus prays for you in the New Testament? If you're a Christian, that prayer is for you. 
he asks God the Father to bring unity and blessing to the people that will believe because of the words of the apostles. If you put those two parts together that are very close to each other in the prayer, Jesus says, the Father gave words to him, he gave them to the apostles, and we believe through their word. When you read this book, you are receiving the revelation of God in Jesus given to the apostles, written down for you. Isn't that incredible? It's not just ink on a page. It's the very revelation of God in Jesus passed to the apostles, written down for you. Paul says that exact thing about his own writings. This is from Ephesians 3. He says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. This is like such a Paul sentence, by the way. It just keeps going and going with no periods. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now that's like a dense section and Paul is talking primarily about the fact that through his ministry, God is creating a new family made up of all people groups. Jews and Gentiles are coming together to be the family of God now. And in the middle of that section, he just says, the mystery was made known to me by revelation That's Paul on the road to Damascus and in subsequent revelations from Jesus that happened after that. And he says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Isn't that incredible? It's not just like, when you read this, I'll give you like some history about the church in the first century and you can kind of draw your own conclusions about it from that. He goes, no, the very insight and revelation given to me from Jesus, you can see it. You can get it when you read what I'm writing to you. And it's not just the New Testament. First Corinthians, Paul's talking about uh, the time that Israel worshiped the golden calf. It's this really disappointing but almost funny story where Israel is down worshiping idols while Moses is up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, the first, of, the first two of which are like, don't worship other gods and don't make idols. Remember that? Paul says, this happened to teach them a lesson, but it was written down for our instruction meaning people in the church age after Jesus. It's incredible. He tells Timothy, it's a very famous verse about scripture. He says to this young pastor named Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed and given and, and profitable for instruction, for bringing believers to maturity. When you read the Bible, it's like you're sitting at the feet of Jesus. And most of us don't feel that way when we're reading it because it's hard to read, it's a big daunting book, and we're used to books being either full of false things that are just stories, or full of history that's boring and dry and hard to read, and we don't quite know which one this is all of the time. But we don't think of it as the direct revelation of God given to Jesus, given to the apostles, and written down for you. But that's what it is. And so we gotta read it. That's like the application for the whole sermon, by the way. We could save 40 minutes if I just said, hey, read the Bible, we can go home now. <laughs> but we need it now, I'm convinced, more than ever, at least, at least in this country. Because we live in a world without roots. You know what I mean? Especially living in the Bay Area in California, our culture hates roots. We hate anchors. We hate fixed points. We hate anything that ties you to a specific idea or a specific truth or that puts any sort of authority over you. We don't like that. And so it's just floating 
And Paul talks about that. He talks about how you need to have those roots or else you can just be tossed about by the waves or blown around by the wind of every doctrine. We need those roots. Because when the church becomes disconnected from the teaching of Scripture, the witness of the church just withers. And it happens all over the world. Like I said earlier, I was in Haiti this weekend and I was spending a lot of time, the whole time I was there, I was with Josue Josaint. He's the director of the orphanage there. And we talked a lot about the, the kind of ministry that he does. He's, he runs the orphanage, but he's also the head of a network of pastors, and some of them are out in the provinces. And a big part of what he does is to teach solid biblical foundations to these pastors because he says, man, you go out into the provinces and churches that are a few generations removed from consistent, solid biblical teaching, everything falls apart. It's not just like they believe the wrong things about the Bible. Ministry falls apart. People start taking advantage of each other. They start acting exactly like the corrupt government in Haiti, that was what Josue was telling me, that it's like they'd start doing exactly what the rich people in government do, taking the money from the poor and not actually caring for them. That's what ends up happening with the churches when they're not rooted in scripture. And I've seen this all over the world. In Nigeria, in the city Awiri where we work, it's particularly bad. There's just signs everywhere with just open false doctrine. And not just false doctrine that, again, it's like the wrong idea. False doctrine that destroys people. There is a sign that would be funny if it wasn't so sad that said, uh, like, come to this spirit-filled service and you're guaranteed to be married in six months. Because young women there, especially if you don't have status or wealth, being married is, is something that you really desire. And Dr. Kazmir, um, he, he talked about how he knew that pastor. And I said, hey, how, like, what happens if somebody comes and they like, get the blessing and all of that stuff and then they don't get married in six months? Isn't that like, doesn't that like, invalidate the ministry? And he's like, oh no, they'll just say that they didn't have enough faith or that they didn't donate enough to the church. They didn't like sow a seed of faith that would reap that blessing. They'll turn it back around on them. And thank God there are faithful pastors and teachers in Nigeria. That's why we support the Bible College in Tanzania, the seminary in Nigeria, because we believe that where the Bible is not taught and treasured and loved, it's not just bad doctrine, it's bad doctrine that leads to bad practices, people being mistreated and the gospel not being shared. And you guys, it's really easy to see that and how it happens when you go to a culture that's not your own. But the culture we live in, it's like it's the water we swim in every day. And I'm convinced the exact same thing is happening where the Bible is not treasured and taught here. We just don't see it because the things that get mixed in look familiar and normal to us. But you have to know, people will lie to you about what's in this book. You can find a pastor, preacher, author who will tell you whatever you want to hear about this book. I promise you that. You want to go find somebody who supports whatever you want to believe about the life that you want to live? There will be someone who will tell you that the Bible says that you can do that, whatever it is. And the only way to know the truth from the lies is to know what's in this book. And I can tell you guys, we are not like at all guaranteed to get it right every single time at South Valley, but I promise you, we are committed to telling you guys as close as we can understand to what the truth is in this, even if you don't like it, even if we don't like it. Because that's the only thing that will ground you in a world without roots. And we, we just need it, we need it. And so I wanna spend the rest of our time just kind of talking really practically about how we can read the Bible well, because we have to be honest and say this is not an easy book to read, right? How many of you guys have like started it at some point and like as you're reading through, you're like super excited because the first half of Genesis is really cool and then at some point along the line, you're like, 
I have no idea who this is or what's happening anymore. Like I've, I've completely lost the story and you end up giving up. How many of you guys have done that at some point in your life? I have done that for sure. It's a hard book to read, but I want to tell you two things about it. One, you absolutely can do it. You can read this and you can understand it, especially you guys because you live in a place where you are blessed to have amazing resources on your side. And it is so, so worth it when you do. There's nothing in my life that has taught me more about what God is like, about what God wants from his people, about what reality is, about how the world works, about the trajectory of human history. Nothing has taught me more about that than reading the Bible consistently, strategically, on purpose for years. For, for most of my kind of adult Christian life, I read the Bible kind of haphazardly. I did read it, but it was not in any sort of like consistent or strategic or systematic way. It was just like whatever I sort of felt like reading at the time. And you end up thinking that you read the whole Bible because you read it regularly, but it's like, when did you read Nahum? You know what I mean? When you're just picking the book that you want to read next. You end up circling the Gospels and Acts, and if you want to be scared, you might read Revelation sometimes, or like Genesis and the first part of Exodus before Exodus gets weird. You know what I mean? But my wife and I decided in 2012, we're like, we're going to read the whole Bible, we're going to get on a reading plan, and we're, we're going to read it together, the whole thing. And it just absolutely blew my mind what was in that book when I read the whole thing on purpose. The trajectory of what God has done and what he's doing and what he's going to do. The story of God's love for humanity and redemption and how it spread across that whole story. The unified story of God. You cannot see it if you don't read the Bible on purpose. And if you do, you get this grounding that is so powerful in practical ways. I mean, in my marriage, my wife and I have found so much common ground in the midst of disagreements over the fact that there is this thing that is separate from both of us that we both agree is, t- is true. And when there's disagreement or, or issues or questions, we have this thing that we both rely on for truth that is separate from us, that is unchanging, that is not subject to like our desires, right? So it's absolutely worth it and you absolutely can do it. And here are just a few ideas that I wanna share with you guys that I think will help you to read it well. The first one is, is to read the Bible consistently. And I mean make it a habit. All of us know the experience of deciding that you're gonna get in shape and getting a gym membership and like starting out super motivated but then having, this is a messed up example on January 27th, I understand that. Uh, there's like, you guys are like, can you pick an example that's not happening today in my life? If you wanna get in shape, what do you have to do? You have to make exercise a habit. It can't just be like, when I feel like it, I'll go to the gym. Or like, when I'm feeling down and I need some encouragement, I'll go to the gym. That's how we treat the Bible, though. If you want to know what's in the Bible, reading it has to be a habit. It has to be a daily habit and it has to be a lifelong habit. Just like eating healthy and exercising has to be a daily habit and a lifelong habit. And if you don't approach the Bible that way, you end up kind of going to it for, for like, something to make you feel good on a certain day or something to answer a specific question you have, like you'll find yourself Googling verses about making your kids obey you or something like that, you know what I mean? And, and thank God the Bible, I'm not, anytime you're reading the Bible, it's better than not reading the Bible. So I'm not saying, like don't feel bad if you've only gone to the Bible to find a verse to encourage you, but you are missing out on the vast majority of what God wants you to get from this book. This is the very revelation of God and we should read the whole thing. And that's where reading it systematically really comes in handy. And this is like the driest, least exciting sounding thing, but I actually think it's the most important thing about reading the Bible. If you want to make it a habit that sticks, 
read it systematically, and use resources to help you. By systematically, what I mean is reading the entire thing and reading it strategically. And that means, there's no shortcuts, I'm sorry, but that means a reading plan, okay? It's like the, mo the least exciting application you're ever gonna get in a sermon. Get a Bible reading plan and read the whole Bible. How many of you guys have used reading plans to, to read either the New Testament or the whole Bible and found that you were like way more successful when you did that, right? That was the thing that changed it for me. And there are a huge, like, there's like tons and tons and tons and tons of plans for all different reading levels, all different reading comprehension levels. There's some where you read the whole Bible in two years, some where you read it in one year, some where you read just the New Testament. That's what I would recommend for you if you've never done this before, that make this the year that you read the whole New Testament. There's this incredible plan our, our young adults group is doing. It. It's called the Discipleship Journal 5x5x5. Five by five by five. It's five minutes a day, five days a week, and I can never remember what the third five is. What's the third five, Jacob? You don't know either? You're in charge of branch. Um, and a third five that means something that apparently isn't significant enough to stick in me or Jacob's brain. But it's, it's five days a week, and it takes five minutes. It's one chapter from the New Testament every weekday, and then you have weekends to catch up. And the reason I mention that one specifically is because even if you start today, on January 27th, if you just read weekends for a while, you'll catch up and you'll be on track and you can read the whole New Testament this year five minutes a day. That is incredibly doable, right? I mean, reading the whole Bible takes 70 hours approximately, depending on your reading speed. And I read a stat that said that Americans watch TV, that much TV per month on average. So again, my goal here is really not to make you feel guilty. I want you to feel inspired to do this. But just know it's, it's a very doable goal. But to stick with it, what you need, I believe, so that you don't get like bogged down in stuff that's hard to understand and like not knowing what you're reading anymore, are resources to help you understand the hard parts. We have the incredible benefit of 2,000 years of the most brilliant minds in human history looking at this book, coming up with ideas and thoughts and help to interpret it and writing that stuff down for you. And a lot of it is available for free on the supercomputer that you carry around in your pocket all the time, right? And so, I recommend buying a study Bible. There's some really great study Bibles out there that have notes in the margin to help you understand some of the complicated stuff in there. They also have like book introductions that will tell you who wrote this book, when did they write it, what's the main purpose of it. And if you want help finding either a plan or a good study Bible, email me or fill out a connect card or come up and talk to me. I really, I think you guys can probably tell this by now, I really want you guys to do this. So whatever I can do to help you find that, Reach out to me. I would love to do that because I, I'm telling you this is transformative. And finally, and this is really significant, use your community to stay on track. The Bible throughout most of human history was not like something that people read privately by themselves. It's very recent that you could have your own Bible. It's also very recent that the majority of people in this part of the world sp like speak and read and write the same language and, and we all learn how to read in school. For most of human history and in, most, and in much of the world still today, the average person doesn't know how to read. And so community of Christians, communities of Christians have gathered together since the time of Jesus to read this together, to talk about what it means, to ponder it throughout the week and then come back next week and do it again. That's why we do that here with scripture. That's why you should be in a small group where you can dive deeper into the passages that we're talking about on Sundays and uncover what's really in there. You benefit from the experience and the talents and gifts of all of those people looking at the same text and sharing their thoughts on it. And by the way, I hope you guys realize the incredible blessing of being able to read and write. Do you know what a blessing that is historically and in the world today? It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, 
I have tons of friends in other parts of the world who never learned to read and write. My friend um, Dismas, who's, who's now a pastor and a teacher at a Bible college in Tanzania, he didn't read or write until he was an adult. He spoke Swahili and, and the tribal dialect of his particular group there. Now he speaks fluently two other tribal dialects and English. He does all his sermon prep in English. He went after it and he had to work so hard as a grown-up to learn that stuff. Most of us learn it in school and we hate it, but we get it anyway. Know what a blessing it is to have access to this whole book in the language that you have spoken and read for your whole life. Most people don't get that. So use your community. Join a small group. Just get some friends or your spouse and say, hey, let's do the same reading plan at the same time and have a text group so that we can like, when something crazy comes up, we can text each other about what it might mean or like other things, like if somebody found an answer to a question, it's incredibly helpful. I've done that year after year and it, it makes a huge, huge difference. This is probably the resource that I recommend the most. How many of you guys have heard of the Bible Project? The Bible Project is a, it's actually technically just a nonprofit animation studio. They make videos on YouTube. And they're little short explainer videos on books of the Bible, concepts from the Bible. They're done primarily by this guy named Tim Mackey, who's a Bible scholar, who's absolutely brilliant. And they will break down some of the most complicated stuff in the Bible into these amazingly short videos. Like there's like a 12-minute video on the book of Romans. And you watch it and you're like, well, yeah, that's pretty much it. I guess we don't need preachers anymore. We'll just show these videos on Sundays. And one of the best things you could do for your practice of reading the Bible is when you start a new book, especially a book of the Bible that you're not familiar with, go watch the Bible Project's video on it. And you'll come to that book with a, a, a fresh understanding of what that book's about, who wrote it, who they were writing it to. And it's like, man, I can't tell you. And this is why it matters for this kind of systematic reading of scripture. Because when you don't understand what you are reading, it is so hard to stay motivated to keep reading it. You know what I mean? I've had that happen with textbooks in college where I'm like, I took online meteorology in college. Terrible idea, by the way. Don't do it. John Bohr is doing it this year. I was like, oh. Um, so many of you guys know John. Now, if you don't know what's happening while you're reading, making yourself do it day after day after day is incredibly hard. So use the resources of things like a study Bible, things like the Bible Project, and the community of believers around you to help you stay in the text, understanding what you're reading. And man, it's, it becomes easier and easier over time the more you do it. And then finally, and this is really important, we have to learn to read the Bible faithfully. And I don't mean that as a synonym for consistently. I mean, approach it by faith. Approach Bible reading as what it is, which is a, a profoundly spiritual activity. When you read scripture, start by asking God to help you understand what's in the book. Say, help me. I want to know what's in here, but it's hard. Help me see what you want me to see here today. Help me to remember the things from this that you want me to remember. Help it to transform my life, because that's the goal of reading scripture. And then don't be surprised when he answers that and it freaks you out. And you start seeing stuff in there that challenges you and the things you think and the ways you live your life. Come at that Bible spiritually and watch God show you stuff that, that makes you filled with joy, makes you filled with sorrow, makes you filled with conviction, and it's just a, a lifelong process of growth and transformation when you read this book consistently, systematically, and faithfully. The other aspect of reading it faithfully is to recognize that, that when you read this book, you're stepping into an incredibly ancient heritage that you are a part of as a Christian. Before Jesus, 
the Jews were called by other religious groups the people of the book because they valued their Bible so highly. It meant so much to them. It was so significant to them that they were called people of the book. Later, Christians got the same title by different religious groups. Not always even in a negative way, just they're the people of the book. When you read this, you are one of the people of the book. There's a, a practice in Judaism that still, it's been practiced for thousands of years, it's still practiced in some conservative Orthodox Jewish circles where when a boy is three years old and he begins his training in Torah school, they will take a slate with Torah on it and put a little bit of honey on the corner. Not the candy bit of honey, I said it like that, but a little bit of honey. And they let the, the three-year-old boy lick the honey off of Torah to show him that this is sweet so that they can experience with all of their senses the sweetness of God's word, that they can taste and smell and eat the goodness and know that that's what this is. This is nourishment. When you read scripture, you have to know you are reading the most printed, most translated, most influential, and most read book in human history. You know this tops the bestseller chart every year. They don't even put it on it anymore. It's the most read book in human history. Don't you want to read it? It's transformed the world more than any other book. Don't you want to read that book? Don't you want to know what's contained inside these pages that has made countless millions upon millions upon millions of people turn their back on their heritage, on their culture, on their family, and follow a new king? Don't you want to read the book that does that? Don't you want to read the book that has caused a multitude of people to sacrifice their lives as martyrs for the truth that's in this book? Don't you want to read the book that does that? Don't you want to know what's contained in these pages that terrifies dictators and tyrants and emperors and evil governments so much that over and over throughout human history, they've tried to destroy this book unsuccessfully every time? Don't you want to know what they're afraid of in this? They don't want you to have it. And countless Christians and Jews before them gave their lives to get this book to you. Don't you want to read it? Are you guys starting to get what my application point for today is? <laughs> if you're a Christian, this book contains the very revelation of God. And if you're not a Christian, don't you want to read the most influential book in human history once before you die? Even if, you don't, even if you don't believe, this book has changed the world. It's shaped the world you live in as a Westerner. Read it. There's no shortcut. Read it. Make it a practice. Make it a habit. Do it on purpose. Read the whole thing. It's not easy, but it is worth it, and you can do it. And if you need help, please reach out to me. The ushers are going to pass out communion. We're going to close with that, and it's a, uh, it's, I'm really glad that we're doing that because it helps, it helps me to remember what is most important about this. Because this book, there's a temptation, the more you get into understanding the Bible, to be so focused on knowing the Word of God that you forget about the God of the Word. That you care so much about understanding with your mind what this book is about that you forget that the purpose is to reveal God to you and to transform you and to make you like His Son to make you a follower. To sit at the feet of Jesus doesn't just mean to fill your head with ideas about him. Do you know where Mary is when Jesus is crucified? She's at the feet of Jesus. Because to sit at the feet of Jesus 
also means to stand when Jesus stands and to walk where Jesus goes and to do what Jesus does. That's what disciples do. It's not just about filling your head with ideas about Jesus. If you sit at his feet, it means you stand when he stands and you go where he goes. And so communion is an incredible opportunity for us to remember that the word of God did not remain abstract and it wasn't just revealed only in ink on pages and written words. The word of God, John says, became flesh and dwelt among us. The very word of God became human so that that flesh could be broken for you to bring you to God. So that that blood could be poured out for you so that you could be a part of a new family made up of all tribes and tongues and nations coming together under Jesus. The word of God became flesh. And so it's an incredible moment to be able to close service by taking these things that Jesus, when Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, and to remind ourselves that the point of being a disciple, the point of reading scripture is not for its own sake. It's to help us know this God so that we can follow him and serve him with more and more of ourselves. So I want to encourage you in this time. It's just a brief moment we have together, but it's incredibly significant. This was the centerpiece of church for 2,000 years. When we do this, I want you to think like the Torah teachers thought when they put honey on the word of God. They wanted those three-year-old boys to experience with all of their senses the goodness of the word of God. That you can smell and taste the goodness of God. Brothers and sisters, when we take communion, you are with every sense experiencing the word of God made flesh. You smell and taste and touch the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ spilled for you. And when you do that, if you lean into that, ask God to reveal himself to you more and more, there is a, a, a nourishment that this meal gives us for mission. Let's stand together. The night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and broke it, said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember the God who sacrificed his life for us. He said, this is my blood poured out for you for a new covenant. Until I come again, drink it. And so while we wait for Jesus, we drink this together. Make this the year that you read this book. Make this the year that you start reading this book. And in 10 years, I hope to talk to some of you who say, this is my 10th time through the Bible. Let's pray. Father, I am so incredibly grateful to you for this book and what it reveals about you. That I don't have to guess, I don't have to rely on fickle human experience or feelings, that I have something steadfast and unchanging. You have chosen to reveal yourself through this method that I have access to. Thank you for the gift of being able to read, Father. I pray that you would cause us to become more and more deeply in love with and in obedience to your son, Jesus, as we read this. That we would remember the God who became flesh and gave his life for us to bring us into his family. And that the more we read this book, the more we would see that and the more we would feel that. We love you. We thank you. You are so good to us. Help us to know you more and more. 
Help us to read this so that we can obey what we read. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I hope you guys have a wonderful day. If you're a newcomer, come get some McKevin's pulled pork after this.